Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. This week, I'm here with Liam and Shelby for our porpoiseode, our bi-weekly porpoiseodes, and we are finishing up Endangered Orca, the story of the Southern Residents by Monica Whelan Shields. We have our last two chapters this week, um, chapters 11 and 12. So 11 is asking questions, and chapter 12 is saving an endangered population. Um, But before we get started, how's everybody doing? We're doing all right. Yeah, doing good. Just life is busy. Life is busy. Yes, life is busy, which is why these are bi-weekly and why the podcast is now bi-weekly, because it'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're going to dive into our episode, but Shelby has some news to share with us before we do. My news is that this is my last porpoiseode. Rip. Can you guys hear me or am I frozen? Yeah. No, no, we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. No worries. But yeah, just again, life is busy and I need to step away for a little bit, but it's been a blast and I've really enjoyed it. And yeah. Well, we've enjoyed having you. We're definitely going to miss you. Um, and I'm not sure what the future of the porpoises is going to look like, if it's just going to be me and Liam, or if we're going to bring somebody else in, or what the plan is, but we'll keep everybody in the loop on that. Um, But we'll probably take a little break after this um, from the porpoises, and then come back into it with a new book. Um, But for our original book that we are talking about now, anybody have initial thoughts? Anybody want to start? On On the, sorry, the last chapter or the book? The last chapter. Oh like yeah, chapter says eleven and twelve. Yeah, so uh, I think it's the chapters really uh, put into perspective, kind of how much that the um, that the threats have been affecting have been affecting the southern residents, and I think overall people's it's it's summarized uh, people's um, attitude toward. Um, toward how they want to help uh, the, the Southern residents as well. So I think that, I think 11, 12, and I even read a little bit of the epilogue. Uh, I read into the epilogue a bit. I, it's a good summary of what, of what uh, the life, basically what the culture is like around uh, the Southern residents and why it's like that and why their history is the way it is. Um, I think it's definitely, um, there's a lot to relate to in this book, I think, with uh, with not only the author, Monica Shields, but some of the people that uh, she's talked to. And, um, and, you know, you can identify with what, you can identify with what people have been going through as well as what the whales have been going through in a way. And it's, the book kind of leaves off on this really open-ended question, uh, you know, open-ended thing of, you know, you know, what's going to, um, what's going to happen? What's, uh, what will probably, you know, you know, it's just that the future is kind of open to what may or may not happen. And uh, I think it definitely encourages people to, uh, to make a difference, even though since, this since there's been so many perspectives in it and uh yeah i mean it's i think overall the those two chapters the epilogue and the book as a whole is 
is really good. And it's, it's, it, it does a really good job of explaining how, what, what people feel right now what, and why they feel that way. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah, I found these two chapters like pretty enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. In, like in comparison to other chapters, I found like they weren't too heavy. They also were like a little bit shorter and I just found them like a little bit more enjoyable to get through. personally yeah but yeah I think it provided like a decent summary um maybe the content isn't like super hopeful with highlighting you know like um action items that haven't been followed through or haven't been implemented effectively like that part's a little discouraging but like all we can do is keep trying um so that, that was like my overall thoughts, I guess. What about you, Erica? Um, I, yeah, I think like, I mean, all of the questions are like important that we talk about, but like, you know, the one where she says like asking tough questions and like the, the last sentence of the last paragraph on the first page of chapter 11, um, like she's, she says, it became sadder, more anxious question now that uh, summer quite simply the whales weren't here. Um, so basically like, you know, she's, she was talking about how it's hard for whale watching naturalists to like answer these questions of like, where are the whales? Um, and I feel like, yeah, like these are definitely, um, tough questions, but like, I think they need to be talked about. And I'm like, I'm glad this book exists so that like people can gain some more information. I think like overall, it's like pretty easily accessible. Um, I also, I mean, like the, the only like kind of quotes that I have with it is like, again, frustrated with the continued narrative, like where they, they talk about like all the, all the things that aren't working and everything. And like, I just felt like there was this overarching tone that I just find frustrating that, and honestly, very tired. Like, it's just like, we need to switch the narrative already where people are like, it's Mm -hmm. not the, it's not the whale watching boats. It's not the whale watching boats. It's like, it's this and that and whatever. And like, I agree that there's a lot of other issues to talk about, but by focusing on it and being like, it's not this, and then talking about everything that people are doing wrong. Like, I think that that sort of thing can make it discouraging for people. And we've had a lot of successes and like, to be fair, a lot of the successes have happened between um, the time that this book was published and now. Um, (laughs) But I like, I don't know. I also, there was a quote, there was a couple quotes that I had in here, but there was like one thing that I thought was really interesting. Like when there was all this talk of like, oh, it's not the acoustics, it's this and that. Like on page 333, it says, um, she's referring to a study. She said, the study suggests that that a 50% reduction in acoustic disturbance combined with just 15% increase in regional salmon numbers could also help the whales attain population or a healthy population growth. So we know that the whale watching boats account for 33% of the noise disturbance. So when people say it's not an issue, if we're using the logic of this statistic right here, that accounts for most of the, like we could get over half of the noise that we need to be gone, gone um, in order to help these whales. So again, I just always find that tiring. I wish that we would have talked a little bit more about the toxins because I think that that's really important considering it's impacting their reproductive health. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think overall, like, like, I'm glad that this exists. It is a perspective. I think that you should take it with a grain of salt. I will never 
I, as I, I'm going to continue to try, but I don't think I'll ever understand the narrative of it's not our fault. It's everybody else's fault. Like, yeah, we need to focus on the salmon, but like, there's mm -hmm. like, if you're using the logic of the quote that we just had with the 50% reduction in sound, then that 33% of sound that comes from whale watching vessels being eliminated is pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you just reminded me of that, like with, with her talking about that study of like the proposed reduction in noise, like from an epidemiologist standpoint, she kind of like really dismissed the study. Like she was just kind of like, oh, but there's like so many unknowns that were factored in. It's like, well, those are proven methods to like predict situations. And I just thought like, because of like potentially a biased opinion, she was like, oh, it's like, well, well, we can't be 100% sure. It's like, yeah, no, you can never be 100% sure. But if the data is showing that it would likely be helpful, like, why are we turning our nose up at that? There can be basically an overwhelm. They're like, yeah, never 100% sure, but there can also basically be such an overwhelming amount of uh, data, I guess, proving a certain thing where it's like you kind of want to move toward it even though you might not be 100% sure or that it's, po it's likely possible. Yeah. And I think that that's really interesting too, just considering that like, you know, along with this narrative and it's not necessarily talked about here, but like when people claim the sentinel effects of like, oh, the boats are around the whales and so then other boats know how to behave and blah, blah, blah. There's no science to back that. So why are we believing that, but not this? Like there's more credibility with this than there is with that. Yeah. Uh, and another thought that I kind of had too is like, there was like some, there was something in here about like, oh, the whale watchers are like so disappointed not to see the Southern residents and like, you know, like it's hard for them to not see them. And I just like, I, I don't know. I feel like you can very easily, like you can see a humpback and you can be like, oh, let's talk about the Southern residents. You can see, <laughs> I see California. Anytime I see a California transient, I'm like, this is a really awesome population that does this and that, but there's another population that actually needs your help and blah, blah, blah. So I, I don't know. I just, if, again, it feels like very, like that sort of attitude feels whiny and complaining of like, yeah. you just look at them, yeah. like, leave them alone. Wasn't, like, no, oh. I'll, I'll get, um, I was going to say, wasn't there like a bit of, um, wasn't there a point that was made in there too, about like when the whales weren't in the area, it was like, so bad because there was going to be all this data missing from the whale watching boats because they're like so or like they weren't going to be watched and like the whale watching boats are so like critical to like keeping up on the whales and like provi providing data yeah and there there there's like an attitude of that just generally of like people being like oh my god they need us and like you know, when we had new calves and people being like, yeah. oh, God, we know this calf because it's so-and-so got a picture of it. We honestly, like, we don't, it is not urgent to know the gender of the calf right away. It is urgent for the animals to live and, and be in an environment yeah. where they live. So, um, like where it's safe for them. So I don't know. I think like, yes, I think talking about the salmon's good. I think that keeping Noah and like DFO accountable is good. But I also think that like, Two with that narrative, because I, I completely understand the frustration of like Noah and DFO and like wanting them to do more. But I think ultimately, like we have to recognize that like these 
organizations have to deal like their government. So they have to jump through a lot of hoops on their own and they have limited resources and they have a limited ability to take care of things. And I guarantee you that like every single person at NOAA and every single person at DFO, if, if they had the resources and the time and the tools to do every single possible thing that would make like the environment better for the Southern residents, I bet you they would. Um, but like, unfortunately there's a lot of red tape that they have to go through. Like that being said, like, you know, they're not perfect. Like mistakes have been made. Like Noah just got sued because that they were not following through on their protections. But like, you know, I like, it's just like, I feel like it's not as easy as it seems. Like I think people see them and they're like, you should just be able to make executive decisions without like understanding that there's a lot of like red tape that they have to go through to make those decisions. And sometimes the resources just aren't there. Yeah, exactly. And you'll, and because it's government, you'll have some, you know, influence. I mean, I know it's been a while since we talked about this, but the whole thing with, you know, the Navy, it's very likely that NOAA had their hands tied by the military wanting them to do something like this. And they had to quickly come up with something, you know, even if it really, even if it had a lot of flaws, essentially. And, but it's just, and, you know, it's not to say that, you know, of course, we should be, you know, doing weapons testing everywhere in their environments. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that, but I'm yeah. saying is that's the kind of red tape that NOAA can sometimes have to get through. And sometimes they're kind of forced against their will in a way. Yeah. That's what yeah. I mean. No, I totally agree with you on that. I think that like, like, yeah, it's like you obviously like there are going to be people there's there's corruption in in science in government, in whale watching, like there's corruption everywhere. Like, everywhere. The yeah. places like where you would think there's not going to be, it's everywhere. And it's not just us. It's like every like field of study that has ever existed or honestly any work field really. Um, another thing I thought was interesting too, is like she had mentioned that the um, like the, the salmon or, or the fishermen were releasing salmon from Orcas Island. Like they were releasing the little salmon into the water. Um, and like, she was like, and they, like, she basically was talking about the frustration that the fishermen felt that they like, didn't get enough credit, um, for trying to help, which they should and all this stuff. Um, and then she's like, but the whale watching boats like could do this. And it's like, then why haven't they? That's my other thing. Cause where was it? It was something in here that said like by 2020, um, like there could be an increase because of, let me see if I can find it here. Basically. Yeah. So like they were talking about releasing these fish from hatcheries, like back into the Salish and that by 2020, it would increase, um, salmon populations. And it's like, I I'm, I'll give the benefit of the doubt that like COVID has happened, but also like I have not heard of one whale watching boat doing this. And she says that the whale watching boats could and that it would have helped and it didn't happen. So I'm just like, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do remember that section about saying, suggesting that the whale boats or whale watching boats could do it. Yes. But it's just like, like, that's the thing is like, it's like, well then do it, you know, like, let's get it done. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and if they need help, let's fucking promote it. How do we help these people make this happen? And like, if this is a good idea and honestly, I don't know enough about salmon to know if that is a good idea because a lot of times like we think that something is a good idea of like oh yeah like let's do this like when they were trying to shoot sea lions or like when they were trying to shoot killer whales for eating salmon. This is a yeah really the culling. Yeah um and then it wasn't 
Um, I'm wondering if, uh, oh, here it is. Okay, I just found it. Here's the quote. Uh, located on Orcas Island, there are no salmon rivers, but Glenwood Springs Hatchery releases uh, 70, or sorry, 750,000 juvenile salmon in a year into the, or in a year into the ecosystem with one of their stated goals being to help feed the Southern resident killer whales. If more projects like this happened on a larger scale, or what if more projects like this happened on a larger scale? In 2017, the Southern Vancouver Island Anglers Coalition with support from Fisheries and Oceans Canada took another step. Fishermen and whale watchers came together to fund and released 220,000 juvenile Chinook salmon from Sook Harbor with plans to scale up a million fish by the end of 2020. The Anglers Coalition President Chris Brose said the community is coming together to do something that the government can't afford to help an endangered species find food, certainly, and to benefit a community that relies on the business of recreational fishing. Such citizen-led initiatives are key to the Southern residents, um, are, are key if the Southern residents are going to have a chance. Um, but I haven't seen it scaled up That's to a million. But I mean, also COVID happened. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Go yeah. oh, fishermen, like, hell yeah. Like, I appreciate that they're taking the initiative. But again, I don't know if this actually is like something that yeah. um, works. But if there was like supposed to be a million fish by 2020, where are they? Just saying. Yeah, where are they? Um. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think the book the book gives like a good glimpse into what's going on with the Southern residents. I would love to hear the toxins talked about more. I would love to learn more about like indigenous perspectives, but I think like for what it is, it's overall good. Just like take the part about the whale watching with a grain of salt. I think that's the only thoughts that I have on it. What about you guys? Yeah, I would love to hear an indigenous perspective of from today like um it's really cool to learn about like their background and relationship with the fish and salmon and stuff but I would like love to hear a modern day perspective of like what they think um would help promote like health of the overall ecosystem and promote salmon recovery and promote like the health and well-being of the southern residents I think that would be really interesting yeah I and helpful yeah I agree. I agree. I do something. I, I wish this book did have a little bit more um, indigenous per, uh, perspective on it, you know, modern indigenous perspective on it. And uh, yeah, I think that probably it's, it felt like a couple things here might have felt a little whitewashed, but who knows? That's might, might be me reading too into it. But yeah, I do. If we can, if we can get more indigenous people or, or rather if we, if we, allow give the resources to indigenous people to actually like start like getting their message out and also as well as pay attention to them and listen to them then i think some real uh, change can be made i think so and i think that's why the co-extinction film is so is really good um yeah because yeah. like, it, it yeah it's sorry but yeah i was i was about to bring up the co-extinction film yeah because um, of all the perspective it had from indigenous people. Yeah. But the other thing that I do have to say about that though, is like, I personally have tried to reach out to different indigenous groups and it is hard to, it, like, I, I, it seems as though you need to have like a relationship built with them first, which completely valid. It's really like 
hard to do that sort of thing to like build that trust. Um, and like, I totally understand there's like centuries worth of hurt. And like, why would you want to talk to another white person who's like coming in potentially like saying that they're here to like help you and uh, try to help the whales. And like, maybe they're not, you know, I totally, yeah. so I could, you know, I see maybe that could potentially be why that might not be in this book, but I definitely want to see more of that. Um, and yeah, co-extinction does a really good job of, of showing that. And like, they only cover a couple of different groups and there are like, lots and lots of groups in the Pacific Northwest and in Canada as well that are impacted by the orca and the salmon. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I wish you would have uh, wrapped up the book with is providing some action items that readers could actually go and do um, yeah. or direct them somewhere. Yeah, direct. That, yeah, yeah that probably would have been helpful. Yeah, sorry. No, you're good. No, I totally agree. Yeah, I think that that would have been helpful. I think... That's a really good segue into go write and call and text and whatever Governor Inslee, send him emails, let him know how you feel about removing the lower Snake River dams, because obviously there's no silver bullet issue. There's a lot of things that we need to fix, but that could help a lot, honestly. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he's talking about it now. So let's, you know, jump on this train of momentum and get something done. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. But I think there's still hope. I mean, we have like three pregnant females right now. We have babies right now. Like, and like when she was talking in chapter 11 about like the lack of births and like, you know, how, how long it had been since animals had been born. Um, I think the fact that we have three pregnant whales right now and that we have three babies right now as well is promising. Not yeah. that and they're going to survive, but like, you know, it's something. Yeah, but the last, like, um, I'll call it a batch. I don't know. The last, like, set of births have been successful so far, like, yeah. relatively. Yeah, which is nice. The things are looking good, so. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers yeah. crossed, exactly. Yeah. So hopefully they'll keep having babies. Those babies will keep being healthy, and hopefully we can get these animals some salmon. But, like, I genuinely do have hope, like, and I feel like I was more hopeful at times when there was like legitimately less hope, like when the talk of the dams was like still something that seemed way out of the question. Um, but it seems as though we could get things done and people are starting to open up their eyes to this issue. And like, we just have to continue to push and talk about it. And sometimes I feel like I just am constantly repeating myself with like certain ideas or the things that I say, but at the same time, it's like that we have to like relentlessly be in our politicians ears about get this down, do this, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> my thoughts. Anyone else have thoughts? Well, that's about it. That was really good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, same for me, I think wraps it up. Amazing. Well, thank you all for listening. I think we'll probably take like a week off. So it'll be like three weeks before the next poor episode comes out um and we'll be sure to post about what book we're doing next and what the plan is um but yeah just stay tuned and thank you so much for being here shelby we are definitely going to miss you and you are always welcome back if you ever want to come back on yes please come thank back if you if you want to yeah <laughs> thank you so much i will you. definitely if i can and i will continue to be an avid listener <clears throat> thank you Alrighty. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. -bye.